Hey everyone, it's Brendan. Welcome back to Sustaining Life Podcast. Uh, so happy you're here today and we get to spend a little time. And today we're going to talk about a topic of spiritual warfare. It's a bit big topic and there's so many different elements and pieces and scriptures about it. But uh, what we'll do today, we'll just address or kind of talk a little bit about just two portions, two pieces of it. There's so much and we'll kind of dibble and dabble it. Uh, in it over time and over the months, but uh, intimidation and manipulation, a spirit of control and a tormenting spirit. So let's dive in. So let's start today with 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. It says, But if any have caused grief, grief, he has not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that, contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love towards him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you are obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also." For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul here uses a few different points, but he wants to make sure to communicate that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. That we're not ignorant of how he works. Because he has many different ways that he would try and, and attack us and manipulate us and, and damage things. Um, there's a plethora of reasons why um, people and many really struggle in the area of spiritual warfare. Just to lift, list off a few, uh, ignorance, bitterness, unrepentant sin, disobedience, a lack of love, lack of understanding, failure to engage, complacency, lack of healing from any number of circumstances, situations, or experiences. Those are just a few examples of different channels that the devil can work in through and for the assault on God's people. The devil works through channels. The devil does not have ultimate power. Spirits do not have ultimate power. Um, They cannot just... Um, relentlessly destroy everything in your life and take a hold of your mind or take a hold of your heart. They can try, but they don't have that power. They have to work through a channel. They have to work through a device that's left open, a door that's left open. You You look through the Bible and you point out to any scripture, you point out to any story or example in scripture where the devil is involved. You're not going to see him being able to create anything. He just perverts things. He twists things. Uh, he tries and twists, uh, tries to twist reality. He provides options and alternatives to doctrinal truths. You know, uh, you would think for as much fear he has surrounding him that the Antichrist or the devil, um, they have to be the exception to that. They have to be the exception to the rule, but it, it's wrong. Even he, the devil, the Antichrist, they, they cannot create. The Antichrist will be a twisted puppet uh, built on lies, fear, and hatred towards God. 
The Bible has so much to say about these things and these individuals, uh, but it also says in the Bible that there are many antichrists, plural. There are multiple, many spirits that are antichrist, meaning against God. In Mark 13, 6 says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Of course, anyone that claims that they're God or anyone that claims that they're Christ, yeah, that's antichrist. That's, that's trying to divert the attention, the focus, and, and the, the, the love away from God to something else. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3, And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of antichrist whereof you have heard that it should come, I even now already. It is in the world already. We see it every day. First John 2.22, Who is a liar that he, or but he, that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Each of these verses that were mentioned, uh, they allude to deception, not creation. This is one of the tools that Satan desires to use against us. Illusions of great power. Influence is what that does. Illusions of great strength, overwhelming force. Illusions of all-knowing power, all-knowing understanding, illusions of great care or love. You can just point really quickly to a couple you know, stories. Illusions of great strength, think David and Goliath. Uh, illusions of all-knowing, think Adam and Eve and the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Two really simple, quick examples there. Um, and this is what the devil will try to do in any circumstance. Um, spiritual warfare is done through unity. It's done through vision. It's done through reconciliation. It's done through praise, worship, obedience, giving, loving, compassion, teaching, discipleship. And it also, the enemy can work through things like chaos, like discord, like pride, selfishness, unforgiveness, bitterness, quenching of the spirit, a lack of faith, idolatry, Little faith, hate, or entitlement, lovers of self. All of these things, these are different channels that Satan can work through, and he does work through. And many times we don't notice it. We think of it as just humanity sometimes just having you know, bad experiences, bad relationships, bad attitudes. But they are spiritually influenced, not spiritually possessed most often, but they are spiritually influenced. These aspects or characteristics of humanity. Take a look at the, the 21st chapter of First Chronicles. Satan stood up against Israel and he provoked David to number Israel in a census. Firstly, this was the Lord's to call. The census is something that God calls for his glory, not Satan's or even David's glory. And the census wasn't new. It wasn't a grand idea of Satan's. The census was God's. Of course, we see Satan just trying to manipulate, twist, turn it into something else, trying to manipulate David to uh, bring the glory to himself. Unfortunately, in that moment, you see that David, he listened to Satan, but we don't see David checking with God about it before he does the census. Joab, uh, he even warned David, don't do it. But David still had not conquered the pride in that moment in, in his heart inside of him. So this is how the devil uh, tried, you know, in that moment he attacked Israel. He attacked David and the leadership that David had, his influence. 
He's going to test different pieces of our life, of our heart. He's going to check it, really. Uh, He's going to test the softened walls of boundaries in our life. If we don't have good um, boundaries, if we don't have good um, relationships, if we don't have good accountability, if we don't have good convictions, good solid convictions or understanding, he's going to attack and try to mess up those softened places or those places where it may just not be as strong. These are things and concepts that we hear preached about and taught about and things that we know we should or shouldn't do, but it's different when it actually takes place. It's a different experience if we're going through life experiencing it versus someone talking about it in a microphone and explaining it. We see it differently. The devil, he's going to subtly but without fail um, relentlessly assault these areas. To God, these lines are very clear. They're very defined. Um, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. We as humans, we're a bit trickier than that. We're a little different. Humanity, we have the tendency to blur the lines a little bit. We have the tendency to operate situationally, circumstantially, based on how we feel, based on who has offended us, based on um, what the risk is, based on how much we gain or lose from it. Therefore, many times those lines that um, those lines become undefined to people. Whereas with God, they're very clear. They're very defined. He he specified things he doesn't does the things he hates, things he loves. That's where we can be protected and we stay safe. As we stay in the Word, we follow Him. We're obedient to His Word, diligently, intentionally, and relentlessly to God. But people, we blur those lines. For anyone to have success against the enemy in spiritual warfare, we've got to know and operate within the lines God has established and make sure that they don't become circumstantial in our life. They've been established the way they are for a very, very intentional reasons. God knows what his people do and don't need. We need to trust the process and the method of him and how he does things, how he wants us to do things. The devil knows that if we simply trust and follow the Lord completely and we give Him, give ourselves to him completely, we're going to have victory every time, always. So that's just what he attacks. First is he'll attack the lines. Just to reiterate, God, for God, those lines do not change, but the devil will attack the lines. He'll attack the boundaries. He'll attack the foundational pieces the doctrinal truths. We've all been there. Situations arise and they tempt us so severely that we compromise or desire to compromise our values, our convictions, our lines that are placed in our life. A few years ago, uh, like all churches do, there was a struggling church. Um, They were struggling to get enough help, you know, people to, to worship, Uh, on the praise team, people to be on the hospitality team to greet and follow up with people, do Bible studies, um, just help in Sunday school, just help in many, many areas. And they were struggling financially. Uh, The pastor was pastoring full-time and worked bivocationally full-time. The church was a praying church full of power and anointing, and the pastor became very well-known. 
He ministered throughout the fellowship, in part due to this, um, students that would come through the area uh, from other churches or Bible college students that were in the area, they would come through the area, they would be eager to connect with the church. One of the students that connected for a short time, they were extremely talented. Musically speaking, they were phenomenal. Phenomenal voice, phenomenal uh, piano abilities. Uh, but the person, unfortunately, was doing very poorly spiritually. Uh, they were really struggling and, and they needed time to heal. They needed time to focus on themselves. And they needed time to just get close to God and re reduce some things in their life. And it got to the point that they were you know, really backslidden. They weren't living for God. They weren't living the standards they were they knew were right. The person was not satisfied unless they were used in the music ministry, even if they were living wrong. And they, they, they insisted that they be used in the platform. The leadership of the church, of course, they stood their ground. They wanted this person to have the chance to focus and do well in their walk with God and become whole. The church knew that they were not ready at this time for the spiritual burden that ministry carries, that the person wasn't ready. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just they needed time to, to become who they needed to be so they could have strength to carry the burden of ministry. The next thing that happens is that pastor, uh, he receives a call, and that call was from somebody, um, that struggling person. That call was from that person's father. The father lived out of state, and he was pretty wealthy. Um, in short, he offered money to the church and a significant amount monthly for their, uh, for their child to be used on the platform. Not everyone understands how significant this can be for a church, especially at the time. Like Financially, it would be a huge blessing, and it would help in many different areas of the church. Um, it would help with labor. It would help with volunteers. It would just be a huge blessing, logically speaking, practically speaking. Um, but rightfully so, the pastor said no. He said no. He'd made up in his mind and his spirit that these lines that were in the Word of God and these lines that God gave to him and how to structure that church, they would not cross. They would not be blurred. They would not be compromised. He wasn't willing to compromise doctrinal standards or um, his integrity, the church's integrity, for a temporary earthly gain. The church, following that instance and interaction, um, they were blessed financially. The person ended up going somewhere else, um, but the church was blessed financially for it. And the laborers were in, immediately increased at the church. And it's just a reminder, and there's so many stories like this, that if we adhere to the godly principles and lines, God will supernaturally and miraculously work on our behalf. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, verse 1 through 6, it says, My son, for not, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days, long life, peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. These things are crucial for understanding the word of God, the spirit of God in our lives, and understanding how to have dominion over spiritual opposition. 
Because we face it. We all face spiritual opposition. And we will continue to face spiritual opposition. It all belongs to Jesus, and we must live as as that as it is. We must live as such. Anytime there's an opportunity for gain in our life, um, we're going to be presented with an opportunity to compromise for that very gain. It doesn't matter what type of gain it is. It can be spiritual, physical, financial, whatever. The enemy will do its dead level best in finding vulnerabilities in our life when we have the opportunity to have a gain. He'll attack our mind. He'll attack our heart and spirit. And not in, always in places of sin necessarily in our lives either. That's the tricky part. There are so many places in us that have been exposed or wounded, lied to, misdirected, um, places stronger and weaker than others. They're all, be, they're all going to be tried and tested. You know, David prays a prayer that we should all be praying regularly. He says, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my hearts. Psalms 26.2 The Lord says this in Jeremiah. I, the Lord, search the heart, try their reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. That's Jeremiah 17 and 10. In that, in those translations, that word rain, it's what it kind of translates to is it's a long, narrow strap attached at one end to a horse's bit, typically used in a pairs to guide it or check a horse while riding or driving. Biblically speaking, according to the Hebrew psychology, that term reigns, uh, that's the seat of the deepest emotions and attractions or affections of man, which God alone can fully know. And Hebrew psychology said it's the kidneys. So, But, but uh, in any instance, both of those definitions, they refer to what directs the path. They refer to what motivates and influences and changes and directs a man or a woman. David is asking God to change his very nature. David is asking God to test him and make sure his life is what it should be. And it's fascinating to see this dynamic take place in different stories and victories and defeats in the Bible that David experiences. Uh, in the Bible, Matthew twelve thirty four, 34, uh, he says, Old generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. This brings us to an important approach to understand that the enemy tries to use against us. It's That approach is called intimidation. Intimidation. Uh, it means to make timid or fearful, to compel or deter by or as if it's by threatened. So this, this is an oppressive spirit. It's a spirit of control. This enemy tries to, in this way, uh, tries to threaten with things like death physical harm, or by overwhelming circumstances that seem impossible. A few things that it tries to communicate, uh, things like don't pray, don't praise, don't speak up, don't don't say a word, otherwise you'll dot, 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 you know, whatever fear it speaks to you. I found that whenever I'm faced with a struggle, the Bible always has multiple resources, multiple ways of connecting and communicating to us. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul, spirit, and of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Going along with that, let's take a look um, at David and Goliath. And it's it's really it's really kind of neat. You know, we've all heard this story, um, but that's one of the things that's so cool about the Bible. There's so many layers and elements and pieces that are always deeper than we know. 
and more lessons and more things we can learn from it at different areas of life to help us. 1 Samuel 17.3 says, The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. Think situational awareness. What that means is knowing what is going on around us, or technically speaking, it's the perception of the elements and the environment within a volume of time and space. The comprehension of their meaning and prediction of their status in the near future. Being aware. The enemy didn't just send a giant, they sent a giant in a valley. They sent a giant in a valley. The enemy, they're always going to try to make you fight on their turf. That's one of the first parts that spiritual warfare will try to do. Fight on their turf, fight on their way. They're going to try to make you come to them and fight on their their uh, their ways. They will try to make you fight with what you see, with your eyes, and what you feel emotionally. The enemy will attempt to throw multiple elements, multiple devices to try to get you off track. It's called warfare for a reason. It's tactics. Nothing is off limits. There's no boundaries that won't be tested. And everything is fair game. Family, friends, finances, nothing's off, off limits. We've got to be aware of Satan's devices. Some of the things that or the elements of the enemy that Goliath or the enemy in Goliath is using against the armies of Israel. The valley, a mental, emotional, or spiritual sense or state. The enemy is attempting to convey dryness, lack of resources. There's no well, there's no re- reservoir to pull from, there's no strength or substance here in this place in the valley. Exposure. You won't be strong enough or good enough. You'll be found out and you'll never be looked at the same way again. The enemy and Goliath try to do this by saying, fight me one-on-one. You have to fight my way. I'll set the terms. The terms were, um, if you win, we'll be your slaves. If I win, we'll be uh, you'll be our slaves. So the enemy's setting the stage and setting the terms in this interaction. Isolation. No one is or will be around to help. I'm the only one fighting this battle. Despair. It won't get any better. It will only get worse. These are elements that are very common in spiritual warfare that the enemy uses and throws at us. To delve further into the attack of the armies of Israel, uh, we can take a look at things that Goliath said. That's something that's important. The enemy speaks in different ways. 1 Samuel 17, 8 says, He says, or rather, he taunts or mocks the Israelites. He taunted their identity itself. He says, Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? The enemy knows what he's doing. He knows that if we rely on the on this weak and messy flesh, then we don't stand a chance, taunting who they were and saying, Aren't I Saul? Or aren't I, aren't I uh, a Philistine? Aren't you supposed to come and get me? Matthew 26, 41 says, Watch and pray that you not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Be on guard. In Hebrew, the term watchman or sentinel, it's derived from the Hebrew verb meaning to look out or about, spy or keep watch, properly to lean forward, to peer into the distance, to observe and await. This goes back to situational awareness, self-awareness. The enemy is slick. If he attacks the identity, the name or what the name or what one represents, 
He's bound to get a rise out of somebody. Someone's flesh is bound to get up and defend itself or their quote-unquote honor. Insecurity will often respond by pride or cowering down in fear. The enemy is completely satisfied with either option. On both instances, we rely on the wrong source of strength, the wrong source of comfort. In both instances, we lose. In both. The next element the enemy adds in this interaction is in verse 9. It says, If you win, you get a reward, you have fame, but laced with a threat. The enemy will always make it seem that you must take their terms. And that's not true. It's not. This goes back to the concept of gain. Where there is an opportunity for gain, there's an opportunity to compromise. Goliath spoke to the egos of the army. This is the primary reason why the army itself failed. They relied on man and not God. That's exactly what the enemy wants and will communicate as such. Fight as a man, using the flesh, or die. As a man or woman in the natural, it can be very difficult to think or see in any way but that. This is one of the many reasons that we have to walk in the Spirit. We must pursue the mind of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, or naturally minded, it's death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, that's enmity or against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they are that are in the flesh, they cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, and the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That's Romans 8, 5-10. through 10. And this is the way that David defeated Goliath. In verse 10 of 1 Samuel 17, the enemy slung another attack to try and provoke the flesh of the people. Goliath blatantly attacked the army of God. He called them out and said that he defies the armies of Israel. What he's doing there is he mocked their faith. He mocked God. That's what he did. It's like he's saying, if he's really God, send me a man that can defeat me. Prove it. Does any of this sound familiar maybe in your own life? Look at Luke 4. It's the same song and dance routine, again, that the enemy tries again and again. It just takes different shapes and forms and different attempts. Oh, you're fasting? Here's some food. Oh, maybe you're content? Well, here's take care of the needs. Are your needs being met? If you're content, here, have some fame or power. Oh, your God is the only one? Prove it. The enemy, again, he constantly tries to be disruptive and provoke multiple areas of our flesh so that we would respond in flesh rather than spirit. David went in the name of the Lord. He went covered in the name of the Lord. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous runneth into it. It's safe. David didn't concern himself with what he saw in the natural. What he saw in the natural was a giant that was much stronger, much bigger, much more well-trained than he was. Naturally, he had no chance, no chance whatsoever. In the natural, he took the time to prepare, which prepared room for the supernatural. We ourselves need to be preparing and bettering ourselves so we can be effective in the supernatural. Praying, reading, studying, and many other disciplines 
they all play an extremely vital role in our spiritual fight. Without those very preparations, we have just a little bit of a different story. We have a different resources to pull from or lack thereof. And thankfully, we do have this story and many others in the Bible. We also have a tremendous, let's call it, mental templates that we that was provided in 1 Samuel 17, 45-47. What David did was he acknowledged the physical or natural circumstances were too great for him. David acknowledges that the glory and the kingdom are not his, but they're God's. He is a vessel available for God. The battle and victory, they belong to the Lord and not himself, and this is for God, not anyone else. If we work for God, God will always take care of us. And if we make sure that we get these things in order, no devil in hell can ever beat us. However, if we miss or end any number of these things or these principles, we're going to fall. The Bible says in Proverbs 25 and 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. So in really in conclusion for, for today, um, and I can't wait because we're going to go through a lot of different elements of this. There's so much to talk about in terms of spiritual warfare and navigating it, but it's important to know like how the enemy attacks and signs to look for in our own lives and people around us and circumstances and situations around us, the influence of the supernatural, uh, positive or negative. Intimidation, this, this, this type of spirit, it's an oppression by a spirit of control. Uh, again, the examples that might you might get oppressed with or might get tempted with or the thoughts that might be intrusive in your mind are don't pray or praise, don't worship, don't speak about God. The enemy is going to threaten you with things like death, physical harm, and overwhelming circumstances just like David and Goliath. It seemed impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And manipulation, that's a tormenting spirit. It's a constant reminder in your head and your thoughts and dreams that say that things won't work out. It works through fear. It's an element of reality. The enemy will often present itself as friendlier on your side offering you a trade that will tell you that you must take that option and you have no other option. And what it does, it preys on unstable emotions and it magnifies or multiplies those emotions. That's why it works through fear. It accuses and it attacks insecurity. It attacks hurt and bitterness um, and resentment, fears, insecurities, those kind of things, the value and worth, that's where it attacks. So these are things we can, we can watch out for we can pray about and we can use the word to always speak truth and know truth and rely on truth. And that way we can know that God is leading us and guiding us and we know we can be on the right path that way. So I'm glad you're able to you know, hop on today. Hope you have a wonderful day and do some prayer. Uh, do, some, do some searching and, and researching through the Bible about these things. And uh, you can use it to help yourself in your life. You can use it to help navigate situations and circumstances and trials. And you can use it to help your family or help others that might be in those situations. Using resources from the Word of God and stories that we can point to and look at and look at the effects. It helps, gives us wisdom where we need it. Uh, share this with somebody that it might be beneficial for them. Many times people are just one step away from coming to church or coming to your home for a Bible study. And the difference is sometimes 
they're being attacked or they're being oppressed by spiritual things that they don't understand. So they have no way to fight back against it. So it's important to sharpen our minds and sharpen our hearts so that we can use these tools and we can be equipped to help with people and making sure that they can learn how to navigate their life and their, their attempt and, and uh, focus on finding God. This can make that path easier and better for them. Thank you.